We need to really think of ways to create an inclusive dialogue. The Muslim in France who's always been told that they don't belong, or a non-Muslim French person who has historically always seen Islam or Muslims as the enemy, those two people have to find a way to talk. In France, we're seeing a continuous pattern of discrimination, fear, hatred, and violence associated with Islamophobia. What's at the heart of the matter, and is it possible to be both French and Muslim in France? This is Campus on the Common, the podcast of bright ideas from Emerson College's School of Communication. Broadcasting from Boston, Massachusetts, I'm your host, Emerson College alumnus and professor of communication studies, Mark Brody. Let's talk with Dr. Carol Ferrara, an assistant professor at Emerson College and a sociocultural anthropologist with expertise and field experience in France. Dr. Carol Ferrara, welcome to Campus on the Common. Thank you for having me, Mark. Recently, there's been a series of attacks in France. I was hoping you could give us some context as to what led to these events. Sure. My research has historically focused on Muslims, both Muslims and Catholics in France, and their experiences with both belonging and not belonging. And so, as you mentioned, there have been two recent terror attacks this past month in October. And one was carried out in a Catholic basilica in Nice, where three parishioners were killed. Uh, And then there was also the brutal beheading of middle school teacher in a small city outside of Paris. Somewhat ironically, these events actually followed a speech at the beginning of October by French President Emmanuel Macron, in which he promised a crackdown by the French government on Islamic separatism, as well as new education reforms, and yet another new top-down reform effort of Islam in France. This has become sort of a common response. Since these attacks actually came after this speech by the president, there's still lots of questions that remain, right? What's causing this ongoing terrorist threat in France? What is Islamic separatism and what's driving it? What do these policy initiatives even have to do with Islamic separatism and what do they have to do with terrorism? Perhaps most of all, where do France's nearly 5 million Muslims fit into this story? And so I think in order to sort of provide a little context, I'm going to tell a story from from back in 2015. It was January of 2015, and I had just gotten back to the United States after more than 15 months of fieldwork in France. And I'm checking my Facebook messages, because one does or did in 2015. And I have this urgent Facebook message from a young Muslim student um, at one of the private schools that I spent a great deal of time in during my research. I was looking at these schools as sort of an effort of, of Muslim communities to provide young Muslims with a sense of confidence and really understand that there's not a dichotomy between being French and being Muslim. And so taking advantage of a system that has for years served the Catholic community, for example, so their own private Muslim schools. Anyways, I get this message from this young student and she said she really wants to talk to me over Skype because she has so much to share about what's going on at the school. She says, the media are literally camped out here at the school. They've been here for days. They're just waiting for one of us to say the wrong thing. And it's making us all so paranoid. I mean, why us? She, she exclaimed in her message. So this was just two weeks after the shocking terror attack on the famous French satirical magazine, Charlie Hebdo. I'm sure you've probably heard of that by now. Actually, the the terrorists for that attack are actually on trial right now. So the new attacks 
that just happened were carried out while these surviving Charlie Hebdo attackers have been on trial. And so after the Charlie Hebdo attacks, the country had erupted in protests of solidarity and support, shouting, je suis Charlie, or I am Charlie, essentially equating French identity with this satirical magazine, which I'll come back to later. In the aftermath of the attacks, there were two teachers at this private Muslim school, again, that I had been spending weeks and months in. They'd gotten into this battle of words. They'd written a series of op-eds reflecting opposing opinions on the topics of blasphemy and the responsibility or lack thereof of ordinary Muslims in paving the way for these terrorist attacks to take place. So not blaming them for the attacks, but allowing for the attacks to become worse and for separatism to become worse. So eventually, one of these teachers quits and writes a scathing commentary about the school and basically equates the school or says that the school is a, a breeding ground for radical Islamist thought. So it's a major scandal, very real political and social consequences for Muslim schools in France, especially coming on the heels of this major terrorist attack. So this made Muslim schools a super easy scapegoat after this, right? A Muslim teacher is leaving this Muslim school and suggesting it was producing radicalism. So it's media heyday. And to make matters worse, the media are camped out at this school just waiting for someone to say the wrong thing, right? These are children in the school. This is a grade school. They're waiting for a student to identify with attackers, to condone the attack, to hear a teacher at the school mention blasphemy or anything that could be construed as radical. And they're filming these French Muslim youth in a Muslim school in the wake of a horrific terror attack that were as foreign to these youth as they were to any youth in France, although obviously with a much heavier disproportionate burden being placed on these Muslim youth. So I get this message, I'm talking to this student, and I'm here back in the US, I'm an early PhD candidate, trying to think about the many, many weeks and months I had spent in this school. I had sat in classes with, with both of these teachers that were engaged in this battle. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, did I miss something? Was there some kind of radical Islamist thought all around me? And I, you know, my training, my, my master's degree in Islamic studies didn't prepare me for that I'm not, I wasn't aware of. I just couldn't wrap my head around the fact that as a non-Muslim white American woman, they would have let me in with the freedom that I had to explore the schools and, and talk with the teachers and everything. I just couldn't wrap my head around this, this school actually being any source of radicalism in any way. Uh, it just didn't add up. So why do I share this story to um, open this podcast? Again, like I said, the schools, I was, I was working in these schools because they were a lot of the school administrators and the teachers had specifically told me about these projects they had to help French Muslim students understand that there's no dichotomy between being French and being Muslim. And this sentiment that you have to choose either French identity or your Muslim identity was and still is so powerful in French societies that these schools had created path forward for, for these students to hedge against this identity complex that so many young French Muslims have. And their mission was clear. And my research even in these schools even demonstrated that the schools were making progress in this regard. Students at the school had stronger positive feelings towards their French citizenship. They better understood their rights and responsibilities in regards to religious freedoms and were prouder of their French identities than their public school counterparts. But here I am, I'm back in the US after collecting this great data and one of these students is calling me to tell me that the media is camped out in their school 
waiting for someone to say the wrong thing after these terror attacks, linking somehow right in the minds of all of the the French public who are you know who's watching this happen, linking these private Muslim schools to these terrorist attacks. According to this very twisted logic, these Muslims who are trying to affect positive change in French society are bearing this indirect associational blame for these atrocious attacks. Herein lies the problem that, that I see, this intense battle against terrorism and against Islamic separatism is basically being carried out, in my opinion, in all of the wrong places. When you look at the media camped out on the school's doorsteps, would it be fair to say that they were essentially following through on confirmation bias, that they had a preconceived notion of mediated reality that they then had to portray by finding a student that would give them that sound bite, they could sort of continue the narrative that, you know, there's French and then there's this other type of French. Is that the dynamic that's at play here? I should point out that there's lots of reasons why Muslim schools have always been regarded with an element of suspicion in France. Part of this has to do with the fact that they're new. The first Muslim school opened in 2001, whereas Catholic schools, private Catholic schools have existed throughout history, actually, in in France. Um, But they became funded by the state in the 1950s. And so this school that actually I'm, I'm talking about was the first school to be funded by the state to receive public funds in France. And part of the reason that this suspicion exists is due to France's historical fear of what they call communitarism, which is basically an equivalent of separatism. So this idea that these enclaves are going to form in society and these enclaves are dangerous for national unity. So whereas in the United States or even in Britain, these hybrid identities of being a Chinese American or a Muslim American or an Indian American are all allowed and there's space for that. It's not allowed in France. And so these schools are seen as ways to purport or encourage those kinds of identities, those hybrid identities. Whereas for Catholics, it was always seen as as very normal, right? Because Catholicism is, is much more normal, let's see, in a banal sense than Islam is. And it's part of France's heritage and history, whereas Islam has always sort of seen, been seen as this threat, right? Even dating back to the Battle of Poitiers in, in the 700s. And so these schools represent this possibility of fragmentation, of social fragmentation. And so they're seen as a threat. It's interesting. It sounds like France is confronted with some issues that seem to be very common here in the United States when you look at majority versus minority and those who are disenfranchised. So if the parallel is valid on some degree, we look at example could be the African-American and Black diaspora communities within the United States, BIPOC communities within the United States, and the struggle for rights they've had since the since the revolution on up through to today. When we look over at France, there would seem to be a very similar situation at play where we've got mainstream French, and then we've got a consortium of other people that aren't, quote, French enough, whether they're in the Muslim communities or some other communities. What's a person to do if they're French, but they don't identify as mainstream French? So this has been an ongoing problem for two main reasons. So one, which we already mentioned, was the communitarian. So this fear of any 
hybrid identities of, of subgroups in the population has made it so that you often have to choose. So there's this mentality among French youth that's actually growing stronger among French, the new generation, that you cannot be both and you actually have to make a choice. According to a recent September 2020 survey, 45% of young Muslims in France under the age of 25, so this is Gen Z essentially, now agree with the statement, Islam is incompatible with the values of the Republic. So again, that's 45%, and that's compared to only 24% of the older generation of Muslims, so those over 35. Nowadays, nearly three quarters of Muslim youth under 25, so again, Gen Z, put their religion before the values of the Republic, while only one quarter of the over 35 generation do so. So basically what's happening is for at least the past two decades, Muslim youth have been rather consistently told that they they don't fit in, they don't belong. It dates back to before, even even before 2000. But after 2000, you see this these other geopolitical shifts in the world that, that change the dynamics a little bit. So you see the rise of, of more political Islam on the global scale, a lot of movements going on in the, in the Middle East and Southeast Asia that sort of change what Islam looks like in, on public global map. And those changes have significantly influenced the Muslim population in France. You also have the exportation of this strange hybrid of Salafism and radical Islamic thought. Salafism historically was a really a pacified movement, but became radicalized, became politicized. Would that be an example of Saudi Wahhabism taking Sufism and altering it? Saudi Arabia was able, because of their their money, their power, were able to sort of export this kind of Salafist, Wahhabist hybrid, which is really the mixing of two very different ideologies and, and exported on, on a global scale. And while, you know, it certainly didn't have mass appeal in France by any stretch of imagination, what it did was it gave some Muslim youth in France a clearer identity to grab onto if they wanted. And basically, you know, you have to think also during this movement, you have the growth of social media. And ISIS, for example, has been a leader in harnessing the power of social media for recruitment. And they were actually able to to recruit more than 1,700 young French to their mission in, in Syria in 2014. We have to remember for a young person, and you grow up in a rather poor neighborhood. So um, Muslims are disproportionately from low income families in France. And if you grow up with that mentality of never fitting in, always being told that you're not good enough in school, you're never gonna succeed, things like that. And you're always being blamed for these national events, um, these terror events that have nothing to do with you. In fact, it's a nefarious brand of Islam that you can't even understand but you're being blamed for it, then you know, you're know you gonna start to look for other outlets. And so this Salafist Wahhabist movement provided this clear identity for certain, just small, very, very small numbers of Muslim youth to, to grab a hold of. And then that creates this wave of social change in society. Now, to, to go back to an earlier question that you posed about the connections or the parallels with for example, African-American youth in the U.S., 
you can say that they're similar, right? They're, they tend to be, the majority of the population tends to be more disenfranchised. There's systemic and systematic racism that exists. So that is a parallel for French Muslims and, and the Black communities in the United States. But the histories are really different in the two countries in terms of Islam prior to colonization, for example, Islam as a civilization, I, I hate to use that word, but the Arab civilization, we're going back all the way to the you know, 700s, 800s here, posed a threat to France. So it was seen as this powerful entity that the French needed to fight against. That mentality changed with colonialism, right? Then it became pockets of the population to conquer. But France still, during the period of colonization, there was still this um, ambition to become a Muslim power, actually, in the world. This is a really different goal, for example, than, than England had, than, the, than Britain had. This goal of becoming a Muslim power meant that France was very late to relinquish control over, over the Muslim colonies. I mean, the French-Algerian War was only in the 1960s. That's like rather recent history, meaning that, you know, the Muslim population that lives in France, a lot of them actually remember the French-Algerian War and the atrocities that were committed then and the unrelenting inability of France to let go of, of these colonies. And so those power dynamics are sort of different. The historical oppression took place outside of France and now has been brought into the hexagon, which is a different dynamic than the bringing over of enslaved peoples into the United States and sort of continuing this systematic disenfranchisement. It's interesting. So if I understand what you're saying, France, which seems to me to be a very Catholic country, at one point tried to become if I understood you correctly, a Muslim powerhouse. Is that accurate? They wanted to find a way to control Muslim countries in a way that would allow them to benefit from the power that those countries wielded. This is carried through to their strategy of dealing with Islam within the hexagon. By the way, that's just another way of saying within France. From the building of the Mosquée de Paris, the, the big mosque in Paris in the 1930s, there's always an effort to control Islam in France. And that stems from that colonial dream of sort of harnessing the power of, of Islam and bringing it under French control. We see this even still today. I mean, like I said, Macron's speech, as all of the president's speeches have done in the past 20 years or so, in response to terrorism, there's often some kind of, how are we going to reform an Islam of France instead of Islam in France? How are we, the French state, going to find a new way to organize Islam that's going to make it more peaceful and it's going to make it fit in to French identity better, right? How can we Frenchify Islam? And that has been long the goal of the French state. And for obvious reasons, perhaps, this actually makes French Muslims feel like they are not actors in the creation of their, or in the experience of their own religion, right? There's this top-down effort to um, reform a religion that actually France often rejects as being part of its own identity. It's a very confusing strategy, especially for, for French Muslims. Indeed, it seems like a super complex relationship. On the one hand, very Catholic France during the colonial days was out to expand its empire, 
and to some degree it would seem like they were trying to legitimize themselves through a unique relationship with Islam itself and expand that across their territories on a global scale. But yet within the hexagon, within France itself, they seem to be in a state of denial about that religion and, and those that are part of those communities. My question is, given this current dynamic, what are the steps forward? What will happen with disenfranchised communities within France? Will we continue to see these tensions exacerbated? Will the government continue to take what sounds like a very hard line approach to these various communities? Will the younger people within these communities continue to look towards other influences that are quote non-France? In your mind, what does the future of France look like in terms of these societal tensions? Terrorism on a global scale does need to be separated from what's going on in terms of Islamophobia and anti-Muslim sentiment in France and from Islamic separatism in France, right? These things on a national scale are not the cause of terrorism. The cause of terrorism is much broader than anything that can happen in one national context. And there's lots of factors going on there. But what I will say is it does seem like these this consistent policy response from the French state of let's reform Islam, let's make it harder for these Muslim schools to operate, even though, again, as I, as I said, they're, they're, they tend to be a, a force of moderation in society, along with mosques, which are also a force of moderation. Let's control the mosques more. The recent reforms included the banning of, of foreign imams from being able to lead mosques. And there's been similar movements um, in terms of Muslim schools, so not allowing any foreign influence in the creation of Muslim schools. And of course, let's reform Islam. And that coming from the state has always angered the Muslim population that feels left out of the solution, right? This is, uh, in my mind, one of the biggest problems. And Muslims in France really need to feel like they are being seen as as part of the solution, not as the scapegoat for all of you know the society's ills that are happening. The acts of terrorism have been on the rise since 2012, really. The terrorist attacks since 2012 account for nearly all of the deaths attributed to terrorism since 1979. So it's really, we're looking at this short period, but again, they're not on the rise because of Muslim schools or because of mosques or because of some lacking of an externally orchestrated reform of Islam in France. One of the primary factors that is fueling this sort of anti-French sentiment, both within France, within certain Muslim communities, and now outside of France, recently we've seen some protests in Bangladesh and in Pakistan and other locations, these anti-French sentiment, right? Because of the way that France is treating its Muslim population, dealing with its Muslim population, there are some elements of blasphemy in there, that conversation for another day. But this consistent exclusion of Muslims from Western identities and, and belonging, and especially belonging in France, is definitely fueling these sentiments. The last point I wanna make here is also that we're talking about Muslims in France, and you know we, we discussed some of the parallels or non-parallels between the black population in, in the United States. The more you exclude and oppress an already disenfranchised population, the less incentive there is for them to play the game by your rules. One of the, the biggest points 
that I've discovered in my research was that those Muslims who always played by the rules, they fully supported French secularism and taught it, for example, in their schools. And they fully support equal rights for everyone, equal rights, equal gender rights, freedom of religion, etc. All of the values of the French state, they would still find themselves excluded from belonging. And the Muslim youth especially still felt pushed out of, of French identity. If that is consistently how you're treated and how you understand the environment you grew up in, then there's just no more incentive to play the game by those rules. So again, if the, if the rules are essentially written to make things disproportionately more challenging or to systematically exclude or oppress, then new rules are going to be written. And, you know, there's no question. And it's, it's just a matter of whether or not this is an inclusive, harmonious, multilateral process, which means that those disenfranchised communities are actually seen as part of the solution. They're being brought into the discussion, but not in a top-down, false, sort of just-for-show kind of way, right? They actually have to be invited to a real table, not just this, like, one-off table of let's have a diverse conversation and then call it a day. We did our our due diligence, a real multilateral process, or it will continue to be the divisive unilateral process that it is now taking place separately on all sides. So everyone's constructing their own rules of engagement that don't align. And so the more that happens, the more social tensions will, will continue to grow and become worse. And it's just, it's really important to look beyond the surface and try and understand what's really at the root of some of these problems that we see, this is Islamic separatism, for example. Um, and we really have to make sure that policy responses and even our responses as ordinary citizens reflect an understanding of the deeper issues at hand, not just sort of what we think must be the problem. And this has perhaps never been more important than today. In the United States, as of recently, we've had a watershed moment in that on a national level, we've started to have a conversation, a very difficult conversation about racism. Mm -hmm. As divisive as these times are, it's really shown who people are. And I choose to believe that most people appreciate equality, appreciate justice for all, appreciate civil rights and elements like this. And while we're having this difficult conversation, we've got a variety of different movements coming out, in particular, Black Lives Matter. I'm wondering, is there any equivalent organization, grassroots organization that's come up in France? The CCIF, which is basically an organization that's against Islamophobia in France. Again, I was talking about that speech that Macron gave at the beginning of October. They also called for the banning of that organization now in France. They were known for collecting statistics on Islamophobia and documenting hate crimes. And it was seen as this group that Muslims could call to inform of hate speech or, or other personal incidents that happened against them, especially women, for example, who, who wear the headscarf. There's tons of incidents. I mean, on a daily basis, there's incidents where women are either verbally attacked or actually physically, you know, have their headscarves ripped off of them. In France, that's a pretty frequent phenomenon. And so the CCIF was in charge of collecting this data Basically, the French state feels that the organization has become too powerful and potentially too radical. This is actually a really important difference between the French context and the U.S. context. So first of all, France is built upon a colorblind society. This means 
not only to the ordinary citizen, but also it's actually illegal to collect statistics on ethnicity, race, or religion in France as of 1978. So for example, you, it's very hard, it's very hard to prove discrimination based on religion or race. So you can do anonymous surveys and find, you know, the numbers of approximate numbers of Muslims in France, but you certainly can't find how many Muslims are living in this one area that that happens to be particularly poorly resourced or or whatnot. So that's a really important aspect of French identity is this colorblind thing, which again, according to those who uh, support the Black Lives Matter movement, one of the biggest pushbacks is against this colorblind mentality, right? Everyone sees color and it's crazy to think that we don't and we cannot continue pretending not to see race. And in France, they continue to pretend to not see race and continue to pretend to not see religion. Again, this coercive national identity, this everyone is French is very strong. And that really matters for how you can solve problems of discrimination and problems of populations not fitting in. Dr. Carol Ferrara, with our remaining time, could you give us three takeaways? I think the first thing to point out is or to keep in mind when it comes to France and the Muslim question, as we say in in research in France, is that there's a real sense of coercive national identity in France. This idea that you can only be French. And that plays a really big role in excluding others. Because if you don't identify with that mainstream vision of what it means to be French, then there are very few paths to belonging. Secondly, I would say that we have to keep in mind that history and sort of the ways that we get to a certain place in society. So the things, the historical events and tensions that have given way to the situation in France really matter, just like the history and series of events that have given way to the situation in the United States really matter. And we can't just look at what's going on right now. We have to look back at that history and really understand it in order to to come up with solutions that make sense for today, right? Slapping a policy Band-Aid on it isn't the way forward. And again, I think the really important part here is to keep in mind, again, even as ordinary citizens, that we need to really think of ways to create an inclusive dialogue, a way to look past these divisions. So, you know, whether as a Muslim in France who's always been told that they don't belong, or a non-Muslim French person who has historically always seen Islam or Muslims as the enemy, those two people have to find a way to talk. They have to find a way to have a conversation about the future. Just like in the United States, we have to find a way to talk across these really strong barriers. Otherwise, the future looks really, really divisive. And I think it would be a much brighter future if we can find a way to talk across the table. You've been listening to Campus on the Common. I'm your host, Mark Brody. We spoke with Dr. Carol Ferrara, an assistant professor in the Marketing Communications Department at Emerson College. Her research focuses on religion and piety in secular societies, religious education, Islam, Catholicism, civic engagement, and interfaith relations. Campus on the Commons executive producer is Dean Raoul Rice. 
Lucas Poyser is our producer and chief engineer. Oliver Glass is our associate producer, and Patrick Mulligan is our communications manager. Campus on the Common provides an expert view into the field of media and communication through the lens of academic experts and industry professionals from Emerson and beyond. Campus on the Common is a production of Emerson College's School of Communication. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.